coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 24th of December, 2023. We have come to worship. So we sort of have reviewed the Christmas story, haven't we? Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth in a time that was very uncomfortable, especially for Mary. Then traveling to Bethlehem only to come to a place where there was really no place for them to stay. Then a child is born. And then angels appearing to some shepherds who then invade the night in the space where Mary and Joseph and the babe are. And then they go out proclaiming the good news of the birth of the Savior. Sometime later, the wise men from the east show up in Jerusalem looking for this king of the Jews who's not there. The scholars of the day look it up in scripture and figure out that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, some mere five miles away from where they were. So the wise men then pack it up and head out to find the Christ. And they do, they find him. We read that in Matthew chapter 2. And so what I find interesting is all those scholars who are able to discern what Scripture had to say about where the Messiah was to be born didn't follow. Here they're talking about the Messiah. And they've been looking for the Messiah for centuries but they didn't follow the wise men to Bethlehem. But when those travelers from the east come and find the Christ child, we read this in Matthew chapter two. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So I was thinking about these gentlemen who had discovered the star and it prompted them to leave their homes and go on a, a pretty dangerous journey over the crescent path over the passing by the great desert and coming down and coming to Jerusalem only to find out that the child wasn't born there, but in some other place. What were they doing all that time they were traveling? Do you think they had any second thoughts? You know, this is pretty foolish. <laughs> we've read some scriptures, we've seen the star. 
What if we take this whole treacherous journey and come up empty-handed? And then when they get to Jerusalem, of course, it's not the right place. But when they are directed and they see the star, we can, we can identify with verse 10. They saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The star is still moving. Now we have a place to go. And they found the child. It says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Now we know that the next verse says they offered up those gifts that they had brought, gold and frankincense and myrrh. But that was only an extension of their worship. And I was thinking, what does it mean then that they worship? What did they do on that day? Now sometimes we use the word worship kind of loosely. We sometimes say uh, worship service at 11. <laughs> and so we gather together and whatever it is we're doing, we just sort of brand it as a worship service. Sometimes uh, some churches have worship teams that are up in front and they they lead in worship and primarily that's music and scripture mix none of that is bad of course but what did the wise men do certainly there was no worship team there it wasn't time for any kind of service what did they do so i want to give you some thoughts on worship on this day before the world celebrates the coming of the Savior. And I want to start by giving you a definition. We'll break it down briefly and be done. Worship is a humbled response. A humbled response of adoration to the revelation of our Lord. So it requires several elements. So obviously the wise men were pretty well focused at that moment, at that time, on the Christ child. Highly focused. And this was an intensely personal thing. This wasn't just, oh, we had the guys come up and, and sing sort of on the moment, come up and sing. But the wise men had been traveling and traveling and traveling. And now the object of, of their worship was right in front of them. And intimately, personally, they responded to the revelation that God had given them and then now saw before them. So worship starts and ends with our Lord. Now, obviously worship is found in other groups and other religions, but we're focused on what the Bible is talking about here when it talks about worshiping the Lord. Worship starts and ends with the Lord. It starts 
with what is revealed about him and his work. In other words, worship, much like meditation in the Old Testament, has some content behind it. It isn't just, well, we're going to empty our mind in meditation and just let it flow off. No, biblical meditation is to focus on a truth and ponder it. The word for meditate is the same along the same idea where we have ruminate, where we sort of chew on it and think it over like a cow would chew its cud, to go over it and over again and ponder it. And I keep thinking that the wise men, being wise men, magi, they were traveling and thinking about the object of their worship. So when they came to him, they were prepped. It starts with what is revealed about him and his work. It also is a reflection on his person. And so we're pondering what that is. And if we're halfway conscious about what we're doing, we'll realize the true relationship between ourselves and our Lord. In other words, he is our creator and we are his creation. And so when we ponder that, there is a natural humbling process. When the wise men came in, they worshipped him. And what does it say? They fell down and worshipped him. In fact, the word itself, worship, in that context is to bow low. So it says they fell down and bowed low as they worshipped. It was actually seen in the Old Testament when Hezekiah was challenged by Sennacherib and Sennacherib sent a bill to Hezekiah and said, here's what's going to happen if you don't quit now and give up. We're going to come in, we're going to level you, your city, your, every, every one of your people is going to be slaughtered. I'm going to do that. And Hezekiah took that paper and he went in before the Lord and he laid it down on the ground and he stretched out and he says, God, do you see what Sennacherib has said? He says, you're like a God like every other God. I know you're not. And I keep thinking about the point of worship is we reflect on who he truly is. Hezekiah says, God, don't let this pass. Look what Sennacherib has done. He isn't just challenging me as king. He isn't just challenging the people of Jerusalem. He has cast aspersions on your name. And he humbled himself before the Lord. Well, the story goes that the Lord brought about victory and wiped out Sennacherib. And Hezekiah didn't have to raise a finger. God took care of business. But Hezekiah, when he reflected on who God was, 
And what God could do, he was humbled and he humbled himself. And so worship starts and ends with our Lord. It starts with what is revealed about him and his work. The, we are better worshipers the more we know about the Lord. We are better worshipers when we know what he has done. And we take the time to pause and reflect. As we reflect on his person and his work, we are humbled. And then the third element, worship ends with our praise and adoration for the same. In other words, it's going to elicit a response. It's going to create within us a response. We, we know who he is. We know what he has done. And now we come and respond. So what did the wise men do? What did the magi do? They traveled and they traveled and they traveled. And they brought their gifts. And all the time I'm thinking they're thinking about him. Wouldn't make much sense to be thinking about other things. We are on this dangerous road. We're headed to this country and we're going to find a Hebrew king. And what are we going to do when we get there? Well, it's pretty obvious they were going to offer him some gifts. But scripture says, first, they came and fell down and worshiped. So returning to our definition, worship is a humbled response of adoration to the revelation of our Lord. The humbled response of adoration to the revelation of our Lord. What is most fitting then at this Christmas time as we reflect reflect on the coming of the Savior is to acknowledge that we are so undeserving. We, didn't, we couldn't demand that God would send his son to deliver us. We had no rights or call on his life. That was something that he did out of his love for us. And we respond then if we truly know him, if we truly respond to the truth that's revealed about who he is and what he has done, we worship. Psalm 95, 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, the hour has come and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In spirit because we have to be invested in the worship. It's not just lip sync. It is not just words that we share. It, ha it comes from deep within our heart and our soul as we express to him 
And what do we express? The truth of who he is in our relationship to him. So I thought it fitting when we reflect on the coming Savior, that we would come back to this passage that Matthew has recorded for us and, and records about the Magi. They came, they fell down, and they worshiped. Let's go to the Lord, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, it is such a busy time of the year. Even today, some of our own church family are, are traveling and on the road when we pray for safety, but we can get caught up in activities. And what we need to do is stop and ponder, reflect. We know your word says that you have made us and that we were made in your image. We also know that Adam and Eve, not long after being created, disobeyed and sin entered the world and we have partaken of that same sin. We have a sin nature that shakes its fist at you. Heavenly Father, how unworthy we are of the love that you want to share with us. We're so thankful for the mercy and the grace that you pour out on us. And we come to speak truth that we were dead in trespasses and sin. We who were in rebellion against you. Whether we were indifferent to you or active rebellion against you, you intersected our life with truth. You made known to us your son, Jesus Christ. And we read of the account in the Gospels how he came and he moved among men and women. And Heavenly Father, we see how they treated him. Almost unbelievable that he didn't just strike them all down. Here he was, the creator and sustainer and they chose to fight against him. But on this day as we come, we don't want that to be our response. We want to embrace you. We want to respond to your love. We want to give thanks for this so great an unspeakable gift. There's no way that we could adequately describe how great a salvation you have brought about because of the gift of your son. And while we talk about a child in the manger and a young child receiving gifts, 
we realize that that isn't the end of the story. There was a cross in the picture. And the one who is innocent, your son, willingly went there to die in our stead. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of you is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, we come full of hearts of thanksgiving and adoration as we come to declare the greatness of who you are and the fact that you you care for us, you love us, you watch over us. It's just awe-inspiring. And we come now humbly before you through the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who even now makes intercession for us in our prayer. And we offer up our thanksgiving and praise in his name. Amen.